0: This is an ohs.com.au production. Welcome to episode 32 of the Australian Health and Safety Business Podcast. I'm Brendan Tarazzi, the host of the show, and today I'm with Jeremy Kennedy, who is the special counsel for Roberts Legal. Good morning, Jeremy.
1: Good morning, Brendan. Uh,
0: now, uh, as we, uh, as I said before, thank you so much for doing this again. We had a bit of a tech issue before, and um, so this is hopefully this podcast is going to be even better this time because we've uh, we've already had one run through. Um, so, tell me about a little bit about uh, the proposed amendments to New South Wales legislation that's um, currently is it sitting in Parliament or it's about to sit in Parliament?
1: Uh, so, uh, there was a bill uh, called the Work. Health and Safety Amendment Review Bill 2019, which was put before uh, the lower house of New South Wales Parliament on the 12th of November last year. Uh, It's up to its second reading and uh, is to go to the upper house in in the New South Wales Parliament as yet, Uh, but uh, I don't think there'll be any problems with it getting through the upper house uh, at all. Uh, They've certainly got the numbers. Uh, so, yes, the bill, mate, uh, I guess it focuses on some um, recommendations that came out of a federal Senate inquiry that was conducted in uh, late uh, 2018 with the findings being handed down um, in early 2019. I think the um, Senate inquiry was called They uh, they Never Came Home, the framework surrounding the prevention, investigation, prosecution of industrial deaths. So it was a review of the... Um, the model legislation uh, that we currently operate under in Australia and um, New South Wales Parliament have picked up some of those key recommendations um, in this bill um, and um, uh, probably one of the first states to to pick up those recommendations say for the introduction of industrial manslaughter legislation which this bill falls short of but which some of the other states have um, have already picked up.
0: So the uh, this is sort of about, as I understand at the moment, there's, you know, if you're a PCBU or a director of a company, you can take out insurance to safeguard against, I guess, any negligence that happens. Um, that's changing now, though, isn't it, or, or what, well, once the bill goes through?
1: Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't uh, say negligence because that uh, is a civil um, issue. Okay. So this is, this is uh, insurance has been available for about the last 10 years. And and it's been quite controversial, which uh, will interact with the work health and safety uh, incident um, and investigation by the regulator and subsequent prosecution. Um, So there's a number of policies that are available in the marketplace. There's um, directors and officers policies, stat liability or statutory liability policies and specialist work health and safety policies. And they uh, purport to give coverage for uh, legal costs associated with the investigation and prosecution, and also for the penalties that are ultimately uh, handed down. Uh, so those those insurance policies have been operating, as I say, for about the last 10 years. And a significant component uh, to this new bill is to ban insurance and indemnities uh, for penalties under the Work Health and Safety Act. So to make insurance for those penalties and costs associated with the prosecution are legal.
0: Okay, so you can still get insured for the actual defending uh, your position, uh, but if this goes through, that will mean that you, you can't um, insure against the penalties, which are really hefty, aren't they?
1: Well, they are, and that's one of the uh, other significant uh, factors of this um, this bill uh, it actually increases the the penalties for the the maximum penalty for a category one offense. Um so the penalties go up to for a corporation as the maximum penalty available under the Act three million four hundred and sixty three thousand, um and for an individual uh, increasing the uh, jail time um, to five years, and penalties of up to three hundred and forty six thousand five hundred for an individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so significant penalties for Category One uh, offences, and they might seem like odd numbers, but w- what they've done is they've actually um, uh, picked up all the increases since 2011, when the bill first came in to CPI. So it reflects CPI increases over the last nine years. That's why we have that figure. But the bill also um, puts in provisions that mean that every 12 months the penalties will now go up automatically in line with uh, CPI increases.
0: So what do you think the strategy is here from the government? Is it to encourage businesses to, I guess, you know, get their act together from from day one and training, education, all of that sort of thing in the workplace, policies and procedures?
1: Uh, Absolutely, absolutely. I mean... um, to we've had a fairly they've had a fairly big stick in terms of you know prosecutions and penalties, but the stick's even bigger now, and you can't you can't insure against being whacked with the big stick. Mm. Um, so, uh, and I guess the argument has been, um, and it's been quite controversial about whether or not you can take out insurance because remember these are criminal um, offences. So the argument is it's against public policy to be able to insure for a criminal offence. You can't take out Insurance that would cover you for penalties uh, from a criminal assault or theft. Yeah, exactly. So why like, should you? Be, yeah, why you, should you be able to for uh, for uh, criminal offences under the Work Health and Safety Act?
0: Yeah. So, in other words, they're saying if you if you're prosecuted, then you know you can't take insurance out to stop you going from jail if you've done the wrong thing. So, it makes well, it got, makes complete it, sense, really.
1: Yeah, and I mean the other key argument. Uh, Against the availability of insurance is um, in sentencing, and it's um, you know a, a criminal uh, law function to give deterrence to the conduct. Now the argument is there's no deterrence for uh, um, potential uh, people being prosecuted if. They can insure for the fine. Where's the deterrence factor? There is none. So that's the argument you know, pub, against public policy. And there's no deterrence um, in sentencing if uh, people can take out insurance. Companies can and officers of companies can take out insurance for individual liability. So, so that's when, a fairly, fairly significant um, change to the landscape.
0: So when a matter comes before a court, are they actually aware if there's uh, insurance policy in place at the moment? Would that be have to be disclosed, or do they just assume that one is in place?
1: No, they don't assume that at all. Um, it's a matter for the evidence to come out. Um, and there's been a couple. There's been a number of cases where there's been some um, some discussion about insurance. Um, there's a significant one that uh, was down in South Australia uh, quite a few years ago now, um, where the judge became aware that uh, the director and the company had insurance to cover the penalty. Um, and even though it was an early guilty plea, which would automatically get you a, uh, a deduction on the maximum penalty, the judge determined that because there was policies of insurance that would pay the penalties, he went straight to the maximum penalty and issued the maximum penalty, whereas mm-hmm. normally in sentencing they would reduce that uh, because you have pleaded guilty. Um, so uh, is, is insurance known to the judge? That depends upon what's put before um, him or her by the prosecutor. So it's certainly open for um, the regulator when they're investigating a matter to issue notices and so forth to require a, a defendant to produce information about whether or not they're insured. And that could be a factor that they submit on in terms of sentencing. Yep. Um, but it's, it's not become a big issue about the legality of the policy because um, there haven't been any cases where the insurers have denied indemnity and there's been an argument about whether the policy is legal or illegal. It's not up to the judge hearing these matters to give a pronouncement on, on that particular issue. Um, it's just a factor that they could take into account in sentencing.
0: Yeah. I wonder what the uh, insurance industry um, view on this is. Like, is, is it like a big sector of the market that companies are taking up this um, insurance against, you know, penalties?
1: Um, a lot of the policies are part of general business uh, policy packages, and they sign up to extensions in the policy to give coverage for work health and safety. Got but that, but that, um, that uh, extension is is worth a fair bit in terms of premium, mm. um, additional premium. Um, and uh, look, I'd strongly advise any um, employers or PCBUs and, and officers. To do a review of their insurance program to make sure that they're not going to be paying premiums uh, for something that uh, they don't get coverage on now because of changes to the law. And I, I should say that the law hasn't yet changed, yep. um, so it's not illegal as yet. But it will become illegal once the um, the bill um, is signed off on um, and receives uh, uh, assent you- from the governor.
0: It will be interesting to see how quickly the insurance companies and the policyholders jump on to all of these um, bill changes because, as you say, I mean, policyholders could potentially be paying additional premiums for stuff that they're not even covered for.
1: Well, can I say just uh, that um, I... Have good relationships with quite a number of uh, insurance brokers, um, the the bigger guys, Aon, and then you know lots of smaller guys, and and I've been speaking with them. In fact, I spoke to one uh, only the day before yesterday, and they don't seem to be aware of these issues. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, uh, it might be a bit of a slap in the face for those guys when um when the it finally does become law, and I can't see any issues with it becoming law because uh, the um, the coalition has a fairly strong um, position in Parliament, and um, they're making changes that um, I can't see um, the the Labor Party objecting to, because they're tightening up and making it, um, uh, you know, harder and tougher for for employers. So I can't see um, our Labor Party friends uh, you know, wanting to to change the bill significantly. And and mate, there are a couple of other. Uh, pretty important changes that need to be made, um, sorry, that are being made in the legislation as well that we probably should talk about.
0: So is that about the uh, spot fines and displayment of uh, imp- provisional improvement
1: notices? Well, 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 that that is one thing. Uh, that's not in this actual bill. Those oh, okay. changes have come about as a result of changes to regulations. Okay. But but um, the other really significant thing I think we need to discuss for listeners is around the new Category 1 offence that they have uh, introduced, that of uh, gross negligence. Um, So currently the Category 1 offence in um, the Act uh, is that of uh, recklessness, uh, so reckless conduct uh, of a PCBU or an officer um, to a risk of uh, serious injury or death. Um, and in New South Wales, we have not had any successful prosecutions under the current Category 1 offence. There have been a few in other states um, under their legislation, which mirrors ours in terms of that uh, that offence. But the introduction of a gross negligence offence um, as a Category 1 offence will make it easier um, because there's a lesser standard than to recklessness and... Um, yep. Easier for prosecution to take place, successful prosecution as a category one offence and expose those businesses and individuals to those maximum penalties that we talked about.
0: Well, with all these changes, you just, businesses just can't afford not to get it right, really.
1: They can't afford not to be compliant, mate, because. Um, you can, you know, have a very significant penalty against the business and, you know- Shut your business down, basically, if you Close the business down and and personal liabilities. It's um, it's scary for business and it means that they've got to become compliant. They have to ensure that there's proper training um, to their staff uh, and that they're getting the right information, but also importantly that the uh, senior managers and officers who are making the decisions around safety Um, And have that additional obligation to exercise due diligence to ensure that um, their businesses comply with the legislation, that they're getting proper training and have proper um, uh, implementation of systems around ensuring that they're exercising their, their responsibilities. What's what a game changer, mate? It's a real
0: game changer. A- absolutely. And, and, like, what would happen, though, if you, like, say you're a business and got, you put hand on heart and go, I'm making every best effort and endeavour to, you know, I give my staff training, we've got policies and procedures in place, um, we're complying with the legislation, but an accident still happens. What happens well, that, then?
1: Well, that comes down to the argument about whether or not they did everything reasonably practicable yep. to ensure the safety, which is the standard or the burden yep. that uh, that has to be um, made. So if they can establish and they have their systems um, and they're able to prove that they exercise due diligence yep. and there's still an accident, as long as... Uh, they're judged by that reasonably practicable stick or yardstick, if you like, um, then they can mount an argument to say that they did do everything reasonably practicable.
0: Yep.
1: But to be able to do that, they've got to be able to show that their staff's properly trained, that they've got proper uh, processes and procedures uh, for hazardous tasks, um, that they conduct risk assessments um, in relation to various tasks, that and that that is... Uh, being provided that information is being provided they're giving training supervision um to to their employees or to the to not just employees workers which is the duty holder do
0: do you think it's harder for like smaller businesses or bigger businesses like i guess for bigger businesses there's more people um there's more things happening and um you know that's a lot to manage but then for smaller businesses perhaps they don't have the resources and capability in place to to put all those systems in place what have you seen out in the marketplace, or is it a mixture of different size companies having different issues?
1: Well, uh, so the, the reasonable test, one of the factors that the courts need to consider about whether you did everything reasonably practicable, does come down to um, an analysis of cost, availability of resources, size of business, etc. So a A multinational uh, top 100 ASX listed company that operates in the mining sector will be judged um, a lot harsher and a lot stricter in terms of what they should put in place than uh, a mum and dad um, plumbing or building um, trade business, for instance. Yeah,
0: that makes Um, makes sense. And so that's all covered in the legislation, it sounds like.
1: Well, it, it's not covered specifically, but it, when you look at what is reasonably practicable and the matters that the court takes into account in considering that, it is one of the factors they do take into account is size of business, availability of resources, and cost, etc. So they're not going to a small business isn't going to be judged to the same standard of implementing or acquiring um, safety um, devices and equipment as, say, you know, a large company that um, the that uh, makes a lot of money and has a lot of employees is, is going to be. So, I mean, that, that's not a fail-safe, though, that argument. I mean, they're still smaller employers, smaller uh, medium enterprises must still be compliant with the legislation and do um, what would be reasonable for a business of their size. So still ensuring that their, their staff are properly trained and that they're undertaking the task safely and have systems to ensure that. They still need to have safe work procedures for specific hazardous tasks and ensure that um, they're complying. I mean, a classic example would be a small, let's say, a small building, domestic building or construction company. Um, Just because they're small and they might only employ one or two blokes and a couple of apprentices doesn't mean that they don't have to comply with uh, standards in terms of working from heights and making sure that there's fall protection (coughs) and that their staff are... Trained in that um, that system and the system to identify hazards like power lines and things that they might be working around, they're all basic things that they still have to comply with. Just because they're small doesn't mean that they don't have to do anything.
0: And so you were saying earlier in the call that <clears throat> some other excuse me one sec um, uh, some other states had done industrial manslaughter legislation. Victoria and has WA gone through as well?
1: Uh, So, um, Queensland and ACT have already implemented uh, industrial manslaughter, um, and Victoria recently passed uh, some legislation for industrial manslaughter with big fines uh, and and imprisonment for individuals. So, I think, Victoria, uh, the bill was $16.5 million as a maximum penalty for a company and 20 years jail for an individual, Um, and... WA, they had a bill that was put before Parliament um, in uh, mid-November. Again, implementing industrial manslaughter, um, ten million dollar fine for companies and twenty years uh, jail uh, for individuals.
0: And so, does that still that reasonably practical um, practicable uh, clause still apply in those states? So, again, you you know you've got to be able to demonstrate that you've done all the right things training you know processes procedures all that sort of thing is that what the same correct yeah
1: yeah,
0: yeah. wow okay well it sounds like really big changes for uh, businesses out there that it's um how would you say how would you say that they start like if you're a company that has nothing in place and obviously it depends on there's key industries that are more at risk than others um, Certainly,
1: I'm, I think the most basic thing that a um, a, a small to medium business who um, you know is looking to, to make sure that they're compliant, they need to do a bit of a uh, a, a review of what they have um, available. I mean, bare minimums they need to have uh, work health and safety policy and and procedures dealing with the um, the key risks that they have in their business. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, if you had a medium-sized business, you'd be saying, well, you should be doing a, um, a broad brush risk review uh, or risk assessment just to determine what are the key risk factors to our business. Um, is it working at heights? Is it uh, traffic um, management? Is it, uh, uh, you know, uh, if you're working with um, uh, industrial machinery, risk of um Amputations or degloving injuries and things like that. Yeah, you know? and then okay, so we know what our key risks are. So what are we doing to reduce, eliminate that, or eliminate those risks? And then part of that might be a procedure. Part of it might be looking at um, some sort of um, uh, um, some sort of way of uh, engineering out that risk. Yeah, putting putting in. Um, Devices that automatically switch off machines, you know the electronic cordon's and and things like that, and then you know costing that out and having a program to make sure that's implemented. But I think the key thing that they need to do is identify those hazards and risks. Yeah, and and even if they've just got uh, some swims, some safe um,
0: work safe work. Yep.
1: Yep, and making sure that their staff are trained in those and that their staff are using them. It's no good having these procedures and they uh, sit in a folder on a shelf, gathering dust. Yeah. Um. They've got to be real documents that are being utilised to identify the risks and hazards and ensure that there's safe systems of work. So that's the first thing that, um, you know, that uh, businesses need to do. Training is essential. I think training is essential and information provision of information. After that, it's supervision, making sure that people are doing the right thing. And if they're not, then taking some form of disciplinary action against them, giving them warnings. And if, you know, if it's significant breaches of your policies and procedures, terminating those stuff.
0: It sounds like, you know, depending on the size of your company, maybe you consider a, you know, an annual review of your hazards and risks and make sure, you know, that you're tracking in the right direction and... So perhaps some outside help if um, if you couldn't if you didn't have someone internally doing that kind of review and audit.
1: Well, yes, that's right. There's plenty of uh, um, assistance available. Uh, I mean, our firm we we've, we've developed a a basic desktop audit um, and review, which is about 25 questions with some multiple choice and some information, and you know it gives you back a report saying here's here's a bit of a gap analysis for you. These are the key things you need to look at.
0: Oh, is that an, is that an online thing or?
1: Uh, it is. Yes, we've we've only just launched it in the in the last couple of months, but it's it's a simple tool. Okay. Well, it's, it's a, not a it's not, um, not going to punch out uh, yeah. a, a whole heap of. Not going
0: to solve all uh, your problems streams. if you've got them. So.
1: <laughs> no, no. It's just helping you identify what uh, some of those gaps in your um, systems may be, and then you can trot off and and try and fill the gaps. And I guess I should say that uh, we do it for. We do it under the legal professional privilege. Yep. So that means that um, if you were to have an incident and um, you had the regulator um, issuing you notices to produce documents, they often ask for any audits or reviews that you may have done on your systems. Yep. And, and if we were to send you a, a uh, legal a document that said, uh, you know, you've got some gaps um, in your systems, that could be used against the business in any investigation so we do it under legal professional privilege so that means that it's confidential it doesn't have to be provided to the um to the regulator under their significant coercive powers to require you to provide information even though it might incriminate you
0: oh that that sounds great we might um we might if we can put your details on there jeremy so listeners could potentially get in in contact with you to um have a look at that if they're interested
1: Absolutely. That's, that'd, be, that'd be great. Thank you.
0: So if people want to reach out to you, Jeremy, how's the best way uh, to contact you?
1: Well, uh, email is always, uh, I guess, um, easy if it's not um, urgent. So my email address is Jeremy at Roberts Legal. So that's uh, J-R-E-M-Y at Roberts, R-O-B-E-R-T-S-L-E-A-G-A-L.com.au. Or if it is urgent, I uh, do offer 24-7 um, availability to clients, significant incidences and, and so forth. Um, people often, you know, uh, in heavy industry, these things don't don't happen nine to five. They happen, you know, on the night shift or the dog watch, um, unfortunately. So listeners can contact me on my mobile phone, um, which is 0434 499
0: and also if you want to have a look at uh what your firm does it's robertslegal.com.au it sure is all right jeremy thank you very much for um the time today and and um yeah that's uh it's you know i think part of it is just getting the information out there as you say a lot of people don't simply just don't know about it
1: yeah thanks for the opportunity brendan most welcome and um thanks for the chat
0: Great.